Welcome to the Heartland Free Church Sermon Podcast. We are so happy to have you joining us today. If you are a first-time listener or first-time visitor here at the church, we would love to get connected with you. You can click that link in the podcast summary. That is our online connection card. If you'd just like to learn more about us as a church, you can visit heartlandfree.com or you can download the Heartland app in whatever app store you prefer. Thank you again for joining us. We've got a fantastic message for you this morning, and we will be getting into that right now. Uh, Normally, it's the youth pastor who preaches on Youth Ministry Sunday, but our youth pastor, Caleb Schlissler, I practice that name a lot, Schlissler, uh, he's starting July 1st, so you get me this morning. Uh, And I've titled the sermon this morning, God's Good Gifts, God's Good Gifts. Uh, And the key idea is that God's good gifts are available to us now through Jesus. I'm going to say that again, our key idea for this morning. Our key idea is that God's good gifts are available to us now through Jesus. And the way that this idea is communicated to us this morning is similar to something that you and I experience all the time. It's waiting for something good that we know is coming, right? Waiting for something good that we know is coming. So for an example, uh, this summer, or this, I guess, spring, uh, I had to buy my first lawnmower. Before, we've always been renters. Lawn care was always taken care of. So I had to buy my first lawnmower. And I did hours of research. I figured out what models were available. I read all the reviews. I got online and watched YouTube videos of the mowers in action. I compared the specs. And finally, I made my decision. I went with the Ego Power Plus 21-inch self-propelled lawnmower. (laughs) I could tell you everything you never needed to know about this lawnmower. It's got the LED lights for at-dusk mowing. It's got an easy adjustable six-deck mowing height with one hand, the triple blade cutting system, and of course, the 56-volt, seven-and-a-half-amp-hour battery to give you all the power you need. So I was excited. Could you tell? So I found the best price, and I went online, I placed my order, and then those terrible words showed up on the screen. This item is on back order. Shipping will be delayed. I knew all about this good thing that was coming to me, but I didn't yet have it. Right? And you can think of something similar that's happened with you, right? Maybe it was waiting for a birthday party or a vacation that you had planned, or perhaps you've ordered something online like a tool or clothing or something else that you had to wait for, right? Something good that we were waiting for that we didn't yet have. And the same idea is how our passages work this morning. We're going to look at the book of Joel, and what we're going to see in our passage in Joel is that our author describes three of God's good gifts but he doesn't get to receive them. You see, Joel has to wait for those gifts, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And then, in Acts chapter 2, the waiting is over. The gift has arrived. One day, I came home from work, and there was this big, beautiful green box in the driveway, and my mower was finally at home. I opened it up, I assembled it, and I mowed the grass with a big grin on my face. So today, we're going to be looking at both Joel and Acts in order to see that God's good gifts are available to us now 
through Jesus. Let's pray. God of heaven and earth, you are a good father who only gives good and perfect gifts. We thank you, O Lord, for the gift of your word, the gift of this church, and the gift of this time to hear from you. We pray that your spirit would move freely here today and that nothing would stand in the way of your message being proclaimed or received, and that attention would be drawn not to a speaker, but to a savior. Amen. Now, you may be asking this morning, why are we looking at the book of Joel? Uh, and the answer is that when I get to preach, uh, I'm preaching through the minor prophets, one key text at a time. Right? Last time when I preached, I looked at a key text from the book of Joel. This time, we're looking at a text from the book. Uh, last time I preached, we looked at a book text from Hosea. This time, we're looking at Joel. And next time when I preach, we're going to look at Amos. And so we're looking at one key text from each of the minor prophets. And we call them the minor prophets. They're the last 12 books in the Old Testament, not because they're less important, uh, just because they're shorter. They're just shorter books. It's not like the minor leagues and the major leagues. We're like, oh, these prophets didn't, they didn't quite get it up there to the majors. They're just shorter books. That was free. That's not going to be on the quiz at the end of the class. Uh, so let's go ahead and turn to our text this morning. So when we're looking at our text this morning, uh, it starts off with the phrase, and afterward. And you may be asking yourself, afterward? After what? Well, that's exactly the right question, right? We don't get to work through these uh, books verse by verse, and so we don't have the benefit of the context. So let me briefly summarize what has happened in the book of Joel so far so that we can make sense of this phrase and afterward. The book of Joel starts off in chapter 1, and he's describing a terrible locust plague. These insects who come around and have destroyed the wheat crop, they've destroyed the barley, they've eaten all the grapes, they've eaten all the olives. Famine is everywhere. Suffering is everywhere. And Joel tells the people, the reason for this locust plague is your sin. We don't know what sin. We know that not every famine is caused by sin, but Joel says this famine is caused by your sin. And then in chapter 2, Joel kind of raises the stakes. He says, now listen, if you thought the swarm of locusts was bad, you just wait, because another swarm is coming. But not a swarm of locusts. Instead, this is going to be a sw the swarm of an invading army. And this army is going to come, and it is going to completely devastate the nation of Israel because of your sin. So in Joel 2.12, he tells the people, repent. The problem is your sin, so repent. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. And then something strange happens. It seems like the people got the message. Because in Joel 2.18, the tone changes. No longer is Joel telling the people of the coming destruction. Now what he's telling them is of the coming restoration, where God has says, now, one day in the future, I'm going to restore everything that the locusts have eaten, everything that they have destroyed. And so that's immediately preceding our passage. So the afterward here means after that promised blessing, that promised time of restoration that you know is coming. So let's keep moving. So it says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This is the first gift of God 
that Joel describes. This is the first coming gift that Joel talks about, the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And often in our Bible, the Holy Spirit is represented by a flame. So Joel expands on this idea of the promised uh, Holy Spirit in two ways. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So he talks about what the spirit does. What is this Holy Spirit? What is this promised Holy Spirit going to do that's after it's poured out? It's going to help people prophesy, dream dreams, and see visions? What's going on here? Well, in the Old Testament, these were special ways that God would communicate with his people. He communicated with everyone through the word, through, the, through scripture, but occasionally with a few individuals, he would allow them to prophesy and dream dreams and see visions. This was God's special communication. So God is going to reveal his message. This is what the Spirit does. Joel says, I've got a good gift that's coming, the Holy Spirit. You want to know what that Spirit's going to do? He's going to reveal God's message. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my servant, my Spirit in those days. So first, he talks about what the Spirit does. Second, he talks about who will receive the Spirit. And this is the all-people peace in our text. And I think this really is the key idea that Joel's getting at with the Holy Spirit because of the way he expands on it here. He says, listen, not only is the Holy Spirit going to do something, he's going to give you some information, but really what's really important about the Holy Spirit is who will receive the Spirit. Because you see, in the Old Testament, God had a special people the nation of Israel. And God's plan was to reach the whole world through Israel. That as God's chosen people loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, they would go out and reach the world. But there was a problem. There was a lot of people in the nation of Israel that did not love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They did not accept God as their Lord and King. So they were God's people. They had received God's promises. They had received the gift of Scripture. They had received God's leaders, but they didn't actually follow God. They didn't know God. They weren't made alive by the Spirit. And so Joel makes a promise here. He says, listen, what's important about God's coming gift is who will receive the Spirit. He says, notice here what he says. The Spirit will be poured out broadly on many people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. The Spirit will not be limited to gender. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. The Spirit is not limited to the generations. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. The Holy Spirit will not be limited to social classes. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on all of God's chosen people. This is the promise that Joel makes. And it was a beautiful promise, a sure hope that one of God's good gifts would be the gift of the Holy Spirit, who would turn hearts, minds, and families back to God. And in Acts, the book of Acts, this promise is fulfilled. Now, some background for our Acts passage is this event, this uh, text takes place after Jesus' death and resurrection, 
right? It takes place even after that because Jesus, after his resurrection, he stayed around for 40 days training his disciples and then he ascended to heaven. This takes place after his ascension, after he's back in heaven. So the disciples are waiting and they're waiting to hear from, to, from, hear from God to know what to do next. And then all of a sudden, there's some strange signs that start to happen. There's a wind that blows through the house. The people who are there, they have flames flickering above their heads like tongues of fire. People are saying, what in the world is going on? The text even says they were filled with the Spirit, which means they were empowered to accomplish a specific task. And what was the task that they're accomplishing in Acts 2? Proclaiming God's Word. And then something really strange happens. Peter gets up and starts talking And he's talking in his own language, but the audience is hearing him in their mother tongue, right? There were people from dozens of nations that had gathered around and they were hearing him in their own language, right? It's a little bit like what happens at the United Nations. If you or I were to get up and speak at the United Nations, we would speak in English and everyone in the audience would have these headphones on. And there's rooms of translators that are translating everything that I'm saying in real time so that you, the audience, could understand it in your own language, right? This is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2, except, of course, there's no translators, there's no headphones. So they say, what's going on here? What is happening? Uh, And so Peter says, and he gives them the answer. He says, this was to fulfill the prophecy of Joel. Because of Jesus, the promise that Joel gave of the Holy Spirit, this is what the fulfillment of that promise looks like. The Holy Spirit of Joel, or Joel, when he talked about the Holy Spirit, described a certain content the Holy Spirit would give. And we now know that that content is Jesus. Jesus himself in John 15, 26 talks about the Holy Spirit, and he says, when the advocate comes, the advocate's another word for the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth goes out from the Father. So Jesus says, when I send you the Spirit, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit has a job. The job of the Holy Spirit is to testify about Jesus. That's the content that the Spirit is, reveal, is revealing. It's much better than any dream or vision. It's Jesus. And in the book of John, Jesus also has a purpose. His job is to point people to the Father. No man comes to the Father but by me. The Son reveals the Father. So we have an interesting pattern happening. The Holy Spirit reveals to us Jesus, and Jesus points us to the Father. This is the promise that we now have in Jesus. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ. But more than that, we also see that the recipients of God's Holy Spirit is exactly what Joel promised would happen. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. One, 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 right? You hear the word one over and over again. It's like Paul was reading Joel for his devotions that morning. He says, listen, the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're old or young, slave or free. The same Holy Spirit unites us all together in Christ. This is the good gift that we now have received. That all who are united with Christ by faith have received the Holy Spirit that's been poured out. 
So what then do we do with this promise, right? How does this promised gift of the Holy Spirit have any purchase on our lives? What's the application? I can think of three from this point. The first point is that we can learn from others. This is a great passage for Youth Ministry Sunday, right? Because the Holy Spirit of God indwells all believers, which means that we can learn from each other. It means when our youth are up here and they're singing and leading us in worship, we can learn from them. When they're opening the word and reading to us, we are learning from them. We're not waiting for them to become a part of our church. They are our church. We can learn from each other. When our kids, when our youth group uh, kids come home and they ask us questions, we learn from them. When they tell us what it's like to try and be faithful Christian in school, we learn from them. Our kids, when they come home and their imaginations are saturated with God and they could no sooner deny God's love than they could deny the love of a mom and dad, we learn from our kids. We can learn from each other. We can also learn from those that we disagree with. Uh Uh-oh. The people we disagree with also have the Holy Spirit. And we need to be humble enough to recognize that we can learn from them too. There is one spirit that unites the body of Christ together. And that means we should be charitable with each other and willing to submit to each other and learn from each other. Second, we need to encourage each other. If the Holy Spirit indwells all believers, then that means each person here has something to contribute to this congregation. That means it's incumbent on us to look at each other and say, I see this passion in you. I see these capacities in you, and I see this need. Have you ever thought about joining this ministry? Maybe working with children's ministry, vacation Bible school, Sunday school, right? Those things are coming. Have you ever thought about getting plugged in with the youth ministry? Have you ever thought about evangelism or starting an evangelistic Bible study or men's ministry, women's ministry? We need to encourage each other to use those passions and capacities and abilities that God has given us and that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to build up the church and to reach the world. So we can learn from others. We can encourage each other. And third, We should be bold in our service for God. For remember, when we serve, it is not you who works alone, but it is God's Spirit within you. The same Spirit that empowers Christ empowers you and empowers me. So let us be bold in our service for God. So turning back to Joel... We saw first the gift of God's Holy Spirit and how through Jesus, all of God's people have received this gift. In our next two verses, we see the gift of God's justice, the gift of God's justice in Joel 2.30 and 31. He says, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. What? The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. There's sometimes some weird verses in our Bible. You ever feel that way? 
It's okay to feel that way. Sometimes there's some strange things that don't make sense on first pass. This is a difficult verse. These are some difficult words. So let's see if we can make sense of it together this morning. So some people have suggested that the imagery that's at work here that Joel is drawing on is the idea of a battle, right? Because it talks about blood and fire and smoke. When do you see fire, smoke, and blood? You see it in battle. Other people have suggested, no, no, it's not battle. We're talking about sacrifices, Old Testament sacrificial system. You take an animal and you offer it on the altar. What do you have? Blood, fire, and smoke. I think the imagery that Joel is drawing on here is the imagery of the Exodus. And I'll argue why uh, in three points. First is this key word, wonders. Wonders. Many times in the Old Testament, this, you, this word wonders is used to, discuss, uh, to refer to the 10 plagues that God used to draw his people out from the land of Egypt, right? In the Psalms, it talks about your great and mighty wonders that your hand, for, by your hand to pull us out of Egypt. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses over and over again will talk about the signs and wonders that were used to deliver the people. So when I see the word wonders, I immediately start thinking, is this the Exodus? And then there's more, right? We see the language of blood and fire and smoke, And we also see all three of these elements in the Exodus story. Blood, most prominently in the Passover plague, right? The final climactic plague where it was the blood of the lamb that allowed the angel to pass over the children of Israel. The pillars of fire and the pillar of smoke that led the children of Israel through the wilderness as soon as they left the land of Egypt. And then finally, we see darkness, And the darkness uh, has a reference in the ninth plague where darkness fell over the whole land of Egypt. So when I see all of these things, I think that what Joel is drawing on here is the idea of the Exodus. And so what Joel is saying, uh, uh, and so whatever, whatever Joel's drawing on here, he's clear that these signs indicate that something called the day of the Lord is on the way. The day of the Lord. This is an idea that the prophets talk about a lot. We'll talk about it more when we get to some of our other minor prophets. It's a coming day of God's perfect justice. God's perfect justice. Where the wicked are judged and the righteous flourish. See, and this makes sense with the Exodus. Because God judged the wicked Egyptian nation for their oppression of the Israelite people. And... It was at the Exodus that God restored and preserved his people. It's like Joel is saying, in the future, God is going to bring justice in the same way that he brought it way back here during the Exodus. But notice what's really interesting about what happens, uh, about how Joel talks about this justice. The justice of God for Joel is not something to be feared. It's in the context of hope as a gift. You see, justice is a sweet and powerful word to the person who has been wronged. It is good and right for someone who is the victim of a crime to long for justice. Justice for Joel is a gift. God's justice is something to be praised. It's because God loves his people that he brings judgment against those who do them evil. 
God's justice and God's love are not in competition. They rise or fall together. Without justice, there can be no love. So Joel here promises that in the future, God will bring the gift of perfect justice. And in Christ, that perfect justice is now here. See, Jesus has defeated the powers of sin and death and evil through his death and resurrection. Paul says it this way. He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus defeated sin and death and evil. Justice means that wickedness is judged, which it was in Christ's body on the cross. Wickedness is judged, but justice also means that the righteous are preserved. But Christ is the only one who's truly righteous. So he's the only one who should truly be preserved. And only those who are united with Christ by faith can receive his preservation. So by saving faith, we are united with Christ so that what's true of him is true of us. Christ deserves preservation. We are united with Christ by faith, so we receive his preservation. Justice is done. Wickedness is judged, and the righteous are preserved in Jesus. So what do we do with these verses? So to those in Christ, I say, be comforted. The gift that was promised in Joel is now available because of Jesus. Therefore, be comforted. Take comfort knowing that justice is done and will be done. Do not be defeated in life because God rewards the righteous. But hear me well when I say this next part. God's reward does not guarantee you a certain square footage of a house or a certain brand of a car or certain designer clothes. God cares more about your robes of righteousness than he cares about your designer labels. So the reward of the righteous in Christ is the gift of God's presence, which is better than riches. So for those in Christ, be comforted. For justice is done and will be done. But for those who don't know Christ... To you, I say, be uncomfortable. Just as justice tastes sweet to the righteous, it tastes bitter to the wicked. Jesus tasted death so that you and I don't have to. Jesus paid the penalty for sins that we could never pay. His victory, his payment is available to all who accept him as Lord and Savior. But to those who don't accept him as Lord and Savior, they will face his just, holy, and loving wrath. It will be a fearful day. So be uncomfortable. But to those who are righteous in Christ, that day of the Lord is a beautiful day worth longing for. So we saw first the gift of God's Spirit. Then we saw the gift of God's justice. And finally, we'll see the gift of God's salvation. The gift of God's salvation. Joel 2.32 says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Okay, so what's Joel saying here? Joel's making a very specific promise. He says, listen, there's going to come a day when everyone who's in Jerusalem, the Jews who are in Jerusalem, will be saved from the hands of their enemies. There's going to be enemies that come. The Jewish people in Jerusalem are going to be in trouble, and they're going to have their lives preserved. Right? How do we know that this is what Joel is promising? Well, first, he, we know he's talking about Jerusalem. He talks about Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem. He talks about Jerusalem, which is the capital city for the Jewish people. So Joel is making a very specific promise to the Jewish people. But let's look at what happens in Acts chapter 2. When we look at Acts chapter 2, we notice something fascinating. When Peter is quoting this verse, you may have been listening, as you were listening to the scripture reading, going, we, we just heard all of this. But notice where Peter ends his quotation. In Acts chapter 2, he ends his citation of Joel by saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's he doing here? Is he playing fast and loose with the Old Testament? Is he trying to trick us a little bit, pull one over on us? And you go, nah, wait a minute, Peter. If we go back and look in context, in Joel, he's actually talking about only a promise to the Jewish people. What are you doing here? Of course not, right? Peter knew exactly what Joel said. And not only did he know what Joel said, he's counting on us to know what Joel said in order to understand Peter's new point. Because what Peter is saying is that in Jesus, salvation is available to everyone. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile, whether you're young or old, whether you're poor or rich, whether you're powerful or weak, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. But notice how in God's providence, right? Providence is the way that God orders the world. Notice what's so neat about the way this happened. Where did Acts 2 take place? In Jerusalem. Who is it that Peter's talking to? A bunch of Jewish people. So this is so interesting because so everything that Joel said came true in Acts 2, but even more. And this is how Jesus works. He fulfills every hope, promise, and expectation from the Old Testament. He fulfills every longing expressed in the words of his people. He provides the salvation that was predicted, the spirit that was pledged, and the judgment that was promised. Just as Joel promised, salvation was available for the Jews in Jerusalem. But Jesus also does so much more. Jesus expands and explodes our expectations that we have for him. Joel promised that the Jewish people would not die at the hands of their enemies. Jesus comes and says, whosoever will may come to me and have life. It's not for the Jew only, but it's for you and it's for me. This was the beautiful mystery of God that was revealed to us 
in Jesus. So let's close. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Joel tells us all about three gifts that he didn't get to receive. He waited and waited. People after him waited and waited. He told us about the good gift of God's spirit, the good gift of God's justice, and the good gift of God's salvation. And in Christ, we now receive those gifts. In Christ, those gifts were just as wonderful as Joel described and imagined, but even more. In Christ, those gifts we now receive are even better. The promised Holy Spirit of God reveals to us a fuller and more precise revelation in Jesus. It's not simply a dream or a vision. We now have the living God that the Holy Spirit testifies to our souls about. The promised justice provides us with comfort and hope that the world will be put right the way it was always intended. But more than justice in this life, God's Grace now allows for perfect justice in eternity. And the promised salvation includes a life far better and far richer than mere survival. It's an abundant eternal life in God's presence and for His glory lived in the power of the Spirit. These are God's good gifts that we now receive in Christ.